Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... One thing I like to put out there is that incidental kindness, meaning if you pass someone in a supermarket, just give them a smile, just eye contact, because you're showing them that they're human and they're being seen. And that's free. You don't need to buy a gift. You don't need to find money. Being seen by somebody, doesn't matter if it's someone that knows you, can really be a game changer for someone over this period of time where they feel very lonely and they're too afraid to ask or say. Warning, this episode may contain themes some listeners may find distressing. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. If you are in another country other than Australia, please call your emergency services. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 448 of Impact Boom. My name's Sarah, and I'm passionate about visioning, empowering, and contributing to positive, creative, regenerative, heart and soul-led initiatives locally and globally. Today, we're speaking with Professor Selena Bartlett. Professor Selena Bartlett is a brain health and fitness leader. As a leader of neuroscience and neuroplasticity, and after studying the brain for more than 30 years, it is clear to understand the brain as a muscle that needs daily training changes how you view people's behavior. Professor Bartlett is the host of Thriving Minds podcast, has written over 100 scientific research articles and recently launched three books to raise awareness about brain health and is passionate about making neuroscience and neuroplasticity actionable. Professor Bartlett gives lectures to organisations, governments, universities and schools to raise awareness on the importance of brain health fitness to be resilient happy, healthy, and strong. On today's podcast, we will discuss how people can support their own brain health and how technology is impacting the brain, as well as what's possible as we cultivate better brain health lifestyles. Selena, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Look forward to our conversation. Likewise. To start off, could you please share a little bit about your background and what it is that's led you to where you are now? To make it as short as possible, my journey started in 1989, but before that I was already a mathematician and a pharmacist. But my sister got a mental illness and she was in a lockup ward in north part of Brisbane. And during that time, I didn't like how she was treated. It seemed to me we didn't know how the brain works when I was seeing what was happening with her in that situation. So I stopped being a pharmacist, retrained, did my PhD in neuropharmacology, 
my first postdoc at the Australian National University in the neuroscience department there. And then I moved to America for almost 20 years and ran a research lab there to learn better techniques of studying the brain. And now since returning to Australia around 2010 and 11, I completely changed my understanding, incorporated everything I'd learned up until that point, being a pharmacist and medically trained and working with drug companies, to understanding that a lot of what we understood until then now needs upgrading and updating to include neuroplasticity, to include the latest technology, meaning neuroimaging, genomics. And we actually understand a lot about the brain that's not in the textbooks, absent from most medical and scientific training manuals. And I would say this goes to all aspects of anyone that deals with people. And we do understand a lot more about the brain now and why people do what they do, but that's still the focus remains on what people's behavior is. And I think that's got to change. And I hope that will change in the next next decade. And so that we can start treating people as the human beings that they are and the experiences that they've encountered that lead to them doing what they do. Absolutely. And as the leader that you are in neuroscience and neuroplasticity, as well as with your research as an author and an educator with this great passion for guiding people on how to apply this wisdom, what are some key learnings? As you said, there's so much that is not practiced or really understood or implemented. Could you share a little bit more about that with us? Just fortuitously, in January, I have a new book coming out. And it's called Being Seen. And that's the distillation of 30 years of my work, but also interviewing lots of people on the podcast and continuing this journey because science changes all the time. Being seen is the number one thing that people don't have. And that happens very young in our early life experiences. And it's because parents that have children and then their parents, et cetera, over many generations have never been taught how to really see their children. And this leads to a lot of adversity that impacts the brain that leads to mental illness later in life and all sorts of dysfunctions that we like to label, whether it's addiction, obesity, anxiety, depression. I could go on and on. We have a label for everything now. So that took me probably 20 years to understand completely. But if I hadn't done all the other work, I wouldn't be able to say it as simply as that. It's more than that, of course, but that's the concept and that's why I titled the book Being Seen. And within that, there are three barriers that prevent us from becoming the people that we could be. And one of them is adverse childhood experiences and how it affects the way the brain works at a very young age. And we know now know those facts through social science, but also brain imaging technology and many other factors. Until you really fully understand that, nothing can really change. And it's not to get into that, it's to understand it at an educational level. The second big thing is the brain's really plastic and can change across your whole lifespan. And you need a coach, a mentor, and lots of support around you to help guide you into that change. So that's a big one. And that's the bit I hope to really change in 2024. And that's why my book's really focused down on parenting in the digital age, because online technology is really affecting the way children's brains work. And then lastly, okay, so that's great, Selena. That's the barriers. That's uh, what we could do. How do we do it? 
So the big change coming in the mental health game space is how to do it and how to have the daily support to drive that, what I said, the brain is like a muscle and it needs to be treated like you treat your body. You don't think twice about you need to now go for a walk, be out in nature, go to the gym, drink water, have healthy food. You understand most people do anyway. It's hard to do. And the reason it's hard to do and keep that up is because no one's targeting the brain first because the brain is the first thing that was born. So it really requires a lot of training. So if you have experienced a lot of adversity in your life, and especially between the ages of zero and 14, then the amount of training and help and support that's required is significantly greater than someone that didn't have that same experience. And I would like to see that be the conversation we're having in society instead of looking at all the problems. Let's look at some of the solutions to those problems and how we have to start wrapping around the support to help people achieve those goals. And that's the key is people think they have to suck it up, that if only they got their life together, their shit together and all of this stuff you hear over and over again. Why can't they just stop smoking? Why can they not just stop gambling? Why can't they just get a job? Why can't they buy that house? Why can't they just pay their rent? Why can't they just get that food in their grocery card? There's lots of reasons. We don't want to look at the reasons because it involves all of us because we all then need societal responsibility to see that it's all our problem. So I understand the barriers, but there are so much opportunities once we really dig deep in this together as a society. So I put it at the society level, not just at the individual level. Absolutely. And that sort of leads me to the next thing I was really curious about. You mentioned some of these really systemic challenges that are taking place in our current society. What are the possibilities that you see for the future as a leader in this space? Uh, So many. Um, I wouldn't be here talking to you unless I saw huge change, like everything. Like AI is transforming jobs. This understanding will transform people's ability to cope in our new era. I think the biggest barrier right now is people don't understand that we're in a massive transformative part of the world and people want it to go back but it's can't it's just like when they invented the wheel or as other people you're here talking about inventing typewriters or the computer or a hypodermic syringe change medicine we have to accept that we're in a transformative era and as soon as we start to accept and adapt to that we will then start to bring those parts into our life instead of thinking everything's bad you will start to see specifically in Australia we are the luckiest country in the world at some level. There's a lot of problems, don't get me wrong, but compared to any other country almost, we have a healthcare system. We have education. We have money for people that don't have a job. Yes, there are homeless. Yes, there are a lot of problems. But I think Australia has to also understand we're an island and you, if you don't know what you don't know in terms of what other people are experiencing right now, then you'll always be dancing in the icing sugar of life and always think that there's a problem. It's a unique time in Australia in that sense where we're so wealthy, there's a lot of inequality, but there's also a lot that we have that many other people in the world would love to have. And so sometimes having that perspective and not focusing on all our problems also really matters if we want to become the society. That's at one big philosophical level. As a leader in neuroscience and neuroplasticity and working across all areas, 
I think one big change that's there is that mental health is going to become and is a basic human right. So it's not something that's an add-on. It's something like shelter, food and water. When you start to frame a conversation where you make mental health a basic human right, and now we understand what causes things that impact our ability to have mental health, which is adverse childhood experiences, which are things like drug addiction, being born to drug addiction, incarceration, domestic violence. Now we know that children are facing an online onslaught of pornographic material, being extorted online. These are also affecting our children's brains. Kids are getting phones and technology at 18 months and younger. Some people are on their phones when they're breastfeeding and don't think that it has an impact. People are being given phones in restaurants to be kept quiet. We now have in Australia five-year-olds on pornographic websites. We now have seven-year-olds reporting with anorexia. We have violent self-harming because they're being shown how to do it through social media. So they're the new things that are happening to our young people that are a result of being very wealthy, whereas people that aren't so wealthy don't have Wi-Fi access like we do or the access to the technology. Their children are actually thriving more substantially than our own. So there's many things happening, but I I see a big change coming, framing one mental health as a basic human right to giving people these free tools and access to ways that they can promote their brain health on a daily basis that can reduce the impact of adverse childhood experiences across their lifespan through this knowledge and education. That's why it's so important for people to have these facts and not shy away from them. And know that generational trauma or adversity is stored in our brain cells and our body and is remembered across our lifespan. And one of the great people that I've interviewed and worked with who is in my new book, her name is Beth Tyson, who's a trauma consultant and expert. She has a brilliant quote that went viral on LinkedIn that says, stop believing the lie that what happens in young children's lives doesn't impact them. Because in previous generations, and it's not their fault, it's just how it was, that children were meant to be seen and not heard, that they would never remember anything that happened to them because how could they remember something before their age of three? And it's not that they remember them, they store them in different ways that we then label as problems later in life. But because it's so disconnected in time, and you know, this is the work of many people, Andrew and Folletti established ACEs, but also Gabo Mate's work. The body keeps a score. Bessel von Kolk. I can't say his last name right now. All these people talk about this, and it can maybe go at a bit extreme. But the fact of the matter is, we do now have the evidence and the scientific facts to support the idea and show that early life experiences impacts our ability to thrive across our lifespan. So that's my life's work. And even though my sister took her life in 2006 because I didn't understand any of this and most people still don't, I could have done more if I had this new knowledge, but I didn't have it then. We can change all perspectives. And I just want to say one last thing on that that subject. On my podcast, I think about what has been the most impactful podcast for me personally and what I think would have the biggest impact in the world was the podcast I did recently on people with lived experience that were given diagnoses of schizophrenia, bipolar and depression 
who came on my podcast are starting their own podcast, have the lived experience, but have also recovered. She's in her 70s at start an organisation called Your Blue Phoenix. We're now helping create a podcast. These people are thriving. They're in their 70s. I know people in their 70s that can't even use email. So we need to start changing the narrative. And as we change the narrative of the conversation, we start treating people as the human beings that they are. We will have a big change in our society. It won't be them and us. It will be all of us together as a community and the social species. And I think that's the game changer that I would hope to see starting through this scientific breakthrough that we've had in the last 20 years. Absolutely. And a real shift in paradigms and in lenses of possibility and inclusion. One thing I like to put out there is that incidental kindness, meaning if you pass someone in a supermarket, just give them a smile, just eye contact, because you're showing them that they're human and they're being seen. And that's free. You don't need to buy a gift. You don't need to find money. Being seen by somebody, doesn't matter if it's someone that knows you, can really be a game changer for someone over this period of time where they feel very lonely and they're too afraid to ask or say. So dropping off flowers or just reaching out, a text, an email, but something that you could really do when you're out shopping and people are really busy is just drop an eye or say hello or a good morning out on your walk or just notice people. I'm just giving the feedback that people have told me that has allowed them the opportunity that they think they matter or that they have an opportunity for recovery, that they can get through this period, that they're being noticed and that they are human. And I think that's such a big one that we can all do, even though it feels scary at the time. But the more you practice it, the easier it gets. So even at the checkout, even saying thank you, because they're also struggling too. Because yeah, living yeah. expenses and everything, even though we are very lucky, it's still a struggle. So I'm not denying that because of the inequality that exists. So I'm not saying that it doesn't, but there are so many small, tiny acts of kindness over this particular period, and not just this period, but just recognise one in three Australians right now, this is the research evidence, are lonely. And last year it was one in four. So it's increased substantially. You can't just put it on the pandemic. It's a change in our society that's causing a major rift that these kind of podcasts and incidental kindness can actually help to narrow the rift a little bit. And I think that would be a great service to our country if we could bring that out more. Absolutely. And foster those micro interactions. And who knows where they... Oh, I've seen it. You never know um, what that's going to lead to or what that's going to mean to someone on the receiving end. It costs nothing. It's easy. And and our systems register that as human contact. And of course, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen the outcome and I've heard it from so many people, especially with people struggling in the mental illness, mental disorder space. This is a big deal because they're already isolated in addition like it's another layer. So if you're feeling lonely and you have a job and you have all of these things happening, it's so hard for you to understand just how lonely it is for people that don't have any of that and was taken away from them. And that's what they talk a lot. They were nurses, chemical engineers, and these things were taken away from them because of their illness. So they have the extra layer. If you have capacity, which you do if you have a job or a family or a friend, anyone, 
And this will make you feel a hundred times better ever because of the way the brain works. It will make you feel better than any gift you'll ever open is the gift of giving to other people with that smile and seeing them respond back to you. I'm telling you now the brain loves it. So in terms of a brain health piece, can't think of anything better. And next year, I'm going to be putting out a lot of this new research field. It's called the neuroscience of two. So we always like to think about ourselves and we get stuck in ourselves and our brain. And that's what we've studied for a long time because we could, but there's this new research that I'm going to start distributing on my podcast called the neuroscience of two. So this amazing woman at Yale has worked out how to study interbrain synchrony and measure it to show that we get an elevation in a certain part of our brain when we're together, not just over Zoom, but face-to-face specifically, you get an even bigger boost. We're not just saying something woo-woo here. We're saying that you're building someone else's brain health as well as your own by doing these small, what you called it, micro acts of kindness that we we discount because our society now especially in big cities, we don't want to take the time because we're afraid of getting involved, not knowing what will happen. They might ask us for more, but in general, that's not what happens. People are just so grateful to receive that acknowledgement of their humanness. Yeah, and I think also another, potentially some people are afraid and or some people are in the past or the future, not really in their bodies, not really in the now, not really in the who's actually around me. So, and it brings enough, them into the moment. Into Absolutely. the present. Oh, that's a great description. I've never thought of it like that too, but that's a great one. Selena, what are some inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently that you feel are creating really positive social change? Oh, so many. So yeah. first of all, females need to get more on the podcasting space. It's now becoming dominated by male voices, which is really frustrating to me because this happens always. So we need to have more females getting their voices heard and listened to because the whole of science is absent female. Voices, female bodies, female philosophers, female physicists. And so it's meant that it's led to a massive problem in terms of what people listen to and believe. So that's a big one. I really want to keep promoting people like yourself and myself because I've got as much experience as a neuroscientist but people tend to, because of the way we've been trained, to believe a male voice over a female voice, and that's led to a lot of problems. So I think that's a big project I want to continue pushing as we have more females coming into science and other places, but we need to really make sure that doesn't get lost because the male voice has dominated podcasting already. So that's a big deal, and most people are now on podcasts. So secondly, children and online 2024 is dedicated to my new book, Being Seen, Master Parenting in the Digital Age, because Australia is a leading country for our children being exploited online. And that's a big deal. We need to put in a stopgap. That includes research that we're doing in the lab. This includes um, getting out into all community spaces, activating the parental network, because parents are the only safe place right now to safeguard children online because it can't happen anywhere else because it's happening in bedrooms and bathrooms at home. And I really welcome anyone to please Google search and get into that. That's a massive problem for our country right now. Lastly, the big one that I think is a game changer is because we are a social species, in terms of neuroscience and neuroplasticity, 
you're not going to get the bang for the buck by doing it on your own. And there's been this whole burgeoning space of self-help and pop psychology and people in the spaces out there, which has been wonderful, don't get me wrong, looking at accessing 40% more, meaning Wim Hof and David Goggins and all these great techniques of cold exposure and really digging deep into your brain. But what I think is going to be the game changer is going to be the neuroscience of two plus meaning that we're going to show that we need to be together helping each other in accessing cold exposure and all of these things, which they do too. But it is very much an idea of pull up your bootstraps yourself. But it's going to be pulling up the bootstraps of others where the big bang for the buck's going to come because we know you get a different brain region activated by doing that. And that really makes me excited. It's not just that helping each other, but in terms of scientific progress, What's going to happen is we've never understood interbrain synchrony. We've never been able to measure the activity that's happening between what am I transmitting to you and what are you transmitting to me and how do we measure that? And I think that's going to be a massive breakthrough in terms of understanding the brain that we didn't have before. And I look forward to seeing all the progress on that side. So I think there's many things happening across many spaces, because this is a game-changing field. We're in a game-changing field. We didn't have this technology before in terms of understanding the brain. Absolutely. And to finish off, what are some books or resources that you would recommend to our listeners? I don't know where to start. I have a whole list of them. I don't want to really promote my own books. My new one is the best that I've written, but then I like books like I would really recommend reading Eve, It's looking at evolution from a female body perspective and how it changes science. I'd also recommend Winter Swimming by Susanna Soberg, who's an amazing female scientist in Denmark who's written this beautiful book called Winter Swimming, and that gives you a female perspective on cold exposure. And I do love all of Wim Hof's work, and I've interviewed these people on my podcast as well. I'd recommend if you're not into reading right now, because a lot of people tend to be on social media and not so much reading, I recommend listening to some of these podcasts to inspire you to start doing new things. Because the brain across the lifespan needs a lot of novelty and newness. So that's what we stop doing. And then we lose the ability to access all these new ways of thinking and being because we get stuck in the old brain and our old adversities. We've got to break free because we're all traumatized and have adversity in different levels and different amounts, but we've got to break free from that. Break free, access neuroplasticity, access all these people that have the knowledge, step into this space, don't be afraid and find us. There's lots of us out there. We're trying to encourage you. Please, whoever's listening, access 40% of the brain that's waiting for you to find it. Thank you so much, Selena. Huge respect and appreciation for the work you're doing and the powerful ripple effects that I know it's having at this transformational time in history. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I look forward to meeting more of your audience and hearing their feedback and seeing what they did. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.